Welcome to Movie Maker. I'm Tim Malloy, and today my guest is Ethan Eng, a Canadian filmmaker whose new film, Therapy Dogs, is one of the highlights of this year's Sundance Film Festival. When I watched it, all I knew was that Eng is just 20 years old and that he had shot it during his senior year of high school in suburban Toronto a couple of years ago, using his fellow members of the class of 2019 as stars. I assumed it would be a cute, very sincere movie about dogs, but uh, it's not that at all. Therapy Dogs absolutely kicked my ass. It dragged me back through all my own high school memories, which are about three decades old, and also made me think really hard about how to raise my kids to steer them away from the very funny but often alarmingly self-destructive behavior that we see portrayed in therapy dogs. At the same time, I'll be thrilled if they turn out to be as creative as Aang and his collaborators. With therapy dogs, they brilliantly intermingle planned and spontaneous events so wittily that it's impossible to say what's real and what's staged and what those terms even mean anymore. Eng's good friend Justin Maurice stars in the film with him and also co-wrote it, and they get to film constantly because they told school officials that they were making a yearbook video. We see them and their friends go to parties, fight each other for no reason, take very dangerous leaps. At one crucial moment, Maurice straps himself to the roof of a car. And I love Jack Estelle stunts, but these are somehow more moving because Eng and Maurice are so young and we want them to take care of themselves, but we also respect them enough to know that they need to make the same crazy mistakes that we all did. That said, at one point, I just straight up gasped out of sheer fear. One of Aang's biggest supporters on this film was Matt Johnson, whose 2013 film The Dirties won the Grand Jury Prize for Best Narrative at Slam Dance in 2013. And one of the best things about Therapy Dogs is that, unlike many films you hear hyped at festivals, you can watch it right now. It's on the new Slam Dance streaming site, slamdancechannel.com, and I highly recommend checking it out. When we spoke last Friday, Aang had just seen an article about his film in the Toronto Globe and Mail with the headline... How a Mississauga high school student tricked school officials and got his debut film into Sundance. Even though Ethan Ang is more than two years out of school, he was still a little bit worried about what school officials would think. I thought like it was a good interview, and then the headline comes out, and it's like how a Mississauga high school student tricked school officials into, and it was like, oh, they're gonna hate that, oh. <sighs> Well, first, the movie ends saying that the school district didn't sign off on anything. Like you explicitly that was last minute at the end of the movie. And the other thing I would just say is, I don't know if you saw this today, but Cooper Rafe, the guy who directed Cha-Cha, uh, Cha-Cha Real Smooth, um, movie at Sundance with Dakota Johnson that just got $15 million from Apple. He's like 25 years old. And when he made his first movie in college, um, which was called Shithouse, he, he told us, and he was kind of joking and he's being self-effacing and funny and everything. But he told us he just lied to everybody, like to get locations, um, to get permission, because he was shooting on his college campus. Um, and at least in the early version of the movie, he said that he just lied constantly to sort of get his shots. And I, there are a lot of filmmakers who will do whatever they have to do to get their shot. And I don't think you should feel bad about anything. <laughs> well, yeah, no, we, we had to. I mean, that's why like, I literally kept it a secret like for that entire year, like it was not worth any risk because I, I really wanted to make that movie and I wouldn't let, you know, being a weirdo in high school or any of those things get in the way. So can you talk about how it started? It seems like you and your friend, Justin, and you're both great in the movie, oh, thank um, you. said that you were making a movie about senior year and then you made something way crazier than that. Yeah, well, um, I think senior year is pretty crazy, but obviously, you know, me and Justin, 
when you're a teenager, you kind of have ambitions like that. And we wanted to just go full throttle. So we kind of used this movie as much as like, it was like an intense search for like what our lives meant at that time. It was, it was a physical search as well. Like we, we put our, you know, bodies on the line too. And that's kind of like the vibe when you're at that age where it's like, uh, just self-destruction is a big thing. And we completely embraced that. Yeah. I mean, I'm 46 and I honestly totally forgot about that aspect of high school and how common it is to just punch your friends and you're falling down. <laughs> you're just doing all these things that are super dangerous all the time. Things in the car that are crazy all the time. Why do you think that's such a part of like, I think especially the male high school experience? Yeah. Well, I think it's because um, you don't care that like, whether you live or die, I think at that age, like it's very, um, for, for all intents and purposes, you know, that final year of high school is your final year of life. Because mm. after that, you're just this, you know, you think you're just like this adult and that nobody wants to be an adult when you're 17. So yeah, everyone's just kind of like on invincibility mode, you know, physically you're, you haven't stopped, like you haven't started getting older yet. Your body has continued to upgrade through all these years and you feel invincible and but it's also like, yeah, very uh, self-destructive and um, it, it's a bit insane. It's so weird. I think a lot about the perspective of different ages and looking back, like I, I think like being 17 was like one of the hardest times of my life and a time I would never want to do again. And I feel like being an adult is so much easier. And I'm not saying 17 year olds aren't adults, but I mean like an adult adult in the world. Of course, yeah. Um, like you have so much more freedom. And you have so much more agency and control over your own life. And the other thing during the prom section of your movie, how incredibly stressful it is to ask somebody out on a date and everyone in your world is going to know if they said yes or not. That just doesn't happen in the real world. And it's really crazy. I thought you captured that really well. Yeah, no, it's strange. Like some people have told me that they haven't had prom proposals in their year. But um, we have promposals and they're kind of famous at that school. And it's like this weird kind of wedding culture thing. And it, it really does feel like, I don't know what the existential dread of watching all of your friends get married is, but it kind of felt like a similar tone when you're watching everyone, you know, do these promposals. It felt like a funeral march. Wow. <laughs> Did you, there's a scene where there's just audio for obvious reasons of going to a strip club and asking a stripper to prom. Did that really happen? Yeah. Yeah. She was really nice. And, um, she gave me some great life advice, you know, uh, we, that was our second time trying it. We tried it the first time and we did it in this really like downtown area and all, all of the strippers were mainly just college students. So they were talking about like Byron and stuff. It just wasn't good audio. So we had to go back to my neighborhood where the, you know, quality conversations lie. And um, yeah, I I really did want to like bring one of them to prom. I had the permission form and everything. Um, But, you know, uh, it ended up being a more vulnerable conversation than I would have expected. Yeah. I thought her life advice was totally awesome and totally right. I mean, yeah, (laughs) something I think you've already gotten of not worrying about what other people think. Right. Yeah. No, um, that's something we like I encountered a lot 
not just making the movie, but like just being, um, you know, 17 and doing stupid things is that everybody's really nice. Everybody wants to give you advice. And I don't know if that's like an eye rolly thing at that age. Like I, I felt like, you know, even though maybe I didn't want to show it, it did kind of affect me. And I did listen to that advice, but, um, that's the thing. Like you'll see it in the movie, every adult that these kids encounter, you know, um, they, they want to help them because, you know, even if I may not see it when I'm 17 of these adults lecturing me, it seems like these adults know what you're going through in some way. Yeah. I, I thought back on like every interaction I've ever had with a cop. And I was like, how many, how often was that cop outrage at me for speeding performative and trying to teach me a lesson to not speed anymore or something like that? Because the cop you guys got pulled over by at the start of the movie maybe he's really pissed at you, but it kind of seems like he's very carefully trying to like deliver the maximum lesson he can. Did you feel like that? Or did you feel like he was just a jerk? Um, well, I initially felt really bad because we we're going to get our friend's car towed for a stupid skit that we did. And that was like the most terrible feeling. Um, and he grilled us like that's, that was a 30 minute long grill. Oh. And I had to trim that down. And even watching that gave me anxiety, but looking back on it outside of the moment, he certainly was kind of giving us the ultimate PSA on why not to strap your friend onto the roof of the car. <laughs> One thing I should clarify here, that really happened, right? I mean, it seems like a lot of things in the movie really happened. I, I was totally unclear on how much really happened and how much was staged. So I assumed the cop really happened, but I don't know why I assumed that. I mean, you could have hired an actor to play the cop, I guess. Yeah. I mean, we may have, <laughs> I mean, you know, when you're one strength that we had when we were making this movie was that we were teenagers and we had nothing to lose. So, and yeah, it just felt like that's the kind of invisible power you have is that, you know, nobody knows who you are, but you're, you're like, you can run faster than everybody else. You can do all of these crazy things, even though you don't really have a voice in the world, you, you're invincible you know, to the opposite degree. And we use that to our advantage. We kind of like did things and risked it all. And, you know, we, we brought that danger that you only have when you're 17 to this movie. Does everyone in the movie know, did everyone in the movie know that they were going to be in the movie? Because I noticed that some of the adults had their faces blurred. Like it seemed like there were legal reasons that you had to blur them out. Or maybe it was artistic reasons. Uh, well, uh, you know, uh, in terms of the blurred faces, I, I just wanted to be um, courteous uh, to them because I know that, you know, some of the teachers at that school still work there. Mm. And uh, I, I don't know how they would feel about being associated with the ultimate teenage rebellion movie of, you know, kids on the roof of their school shooting off fireworks. Um, and yeah, I, I think everyone at that school is great. I have no ill will against any of the teachers or the staff. And um, this really is a movie to celebrate the students. So, yeah. So do you feel that it would ruin the movie to say how much of it is real and how much of it is, is written and planned? Um, uh, maybe, I mean, there are a lot of movies that I've watched kind of just like weird stuff on YouTube that you find cursed videos that you have no idea. There's this one video on YouTube of like a Russian army soldier doing 
a push-up with no hands. And I still don't know if that's real or fake. It's probably fake, but it just looks so like grainy and lo-fi. And it's like, man, that's amazing. I, I love that kind of magic. And, um, you know, I hope some weird kid like me on YouTube just stumbles upon it and is like, wow, this is crazy. Yeah, I feel like you found whether you sort of set it up to direct the narrative in a certain way or you look back on all your footage and realize it was going in a certain way and edit it that way I think there's just incredible artistry in what you did it's it really flows and I there are things that are set up early on that pay off later that are so elegantly done and I just love when that happens and you don't know what's happening like there are there are moments like there's a moment of jumping off of a bridge of with a train coming that is so jaw-dropping, but also has such a big impact on what comes later and just really foreshadows um, how wow. how you and your friends think. Like, just like, I'm going to appreciate this moment and like take a huge risk and just go for it. And then go back to school afterwards, soaking wet. I thought that was just an incredible portrait and an incredible moment. That, that's giving me goosebumps, man. Like nobody's uh, actually brought up like that bridge scene in that way. Um, that bridge scene meant a lot. Like, uh, yeah, it was like, you know, coming to terms that it really did feel like uh, coming to terms with death in a way um, doing that. And I don't know if that was like a helpful thing or led us into more danger. Uh, may, probably made us feel more invincible, but that's that that's all um being a teenager is is like these trials of uh of courage and bravery no matter how stupid they are they mean everything to you yeah i my best friend and i still talk about stuff that we did when we were 17 we we're just like i can't believe we did that like <laughs> mostly involving fire where it's like i cannot believe we did that and that nobody got hurt that is so ridiculous like and we're still kind of processing like what we why did we do that why do we think that was really funny because we thought it was like really really funny and I still kind of think it's funny and I don't know I I just thought it captured that incredibly well and I'm also really glad everybody's okay that's the main part oh Um, yeah yeah there's a part where you're talking to Justin and you tell him something that I totally understood and I don't know I don't know if you want to clarify it at all, but I think what you essentially tell him is your friendship is such that you wouldn't care if you never saw each other again after high school. And what that meant to me is you have these friendships sometimes that are so perfect. You kind of want to keep that perfect memory and anything else that happens isn't going to improve on it. So there's kind of no need to stay in touch with that person in a way. Of course, you still want to stay in touch with that person, but you don't need to. Um, And I find that like with my best friend, if we go for, you know, three years without seeing each other, which we have, when we talk again, it's like exactly the same. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. And, um, you know, that's, that's where I was coming from with saying that, but, you know, there's an angle to saying that where it's kind of, uh, thinking back on it, you know, it's, I don't know, it's kind of negative in a way because, I, I feel like with your friends, I've, I've kind of turned a new leaf. And, you know, in terms of my relationship with Justin, I don't even want to think about the idea of not seeing him for three years, even though like back then 
um, that was something I was preparing for. Uh, at this point, it's like, keep your friends by your side as long as you can. I don't want to think about anything else. And um, yeah, those are hard conversations to have. Can you talk about how you film this? Um, just the equipment you used and things like that to get away with it, essentially to get away with <laughs> getting as much footage as you got, like in classrooms at parties. Um, I mean, people are like, you know, drinking and stuff on camera. And sometimes sometimes people will be really weird about a camera being on when that's happening. Like, how did you do it? Right. So I mean, for the, you know, for the party stuff, we used the GoPro. Um it, that that took like years and years of trust because I've been going to that school and been the weird camera kid for so long. Everybody was just kind of cool with it. I kind of like became a fixture to the school. Like <laughs> one day I'd be recording like a classroom and then I'd be at like the most wild party ever. And I'd still have the same camera in front of me and people would be like, yeah, that's, that's just how it goes around here. And people were very open uh, I, th- I think kids have like a different relationship to media nowadays where like they see a camera and they're not necessarily like intimidated by it. No. Um, they actually want to share, which, and you see some people that share maybe a little bit too much <laughs> in the movie, but you know, a big thing about this was also like capturing a very uh, cinematic, like portrait of high school. I think that was something that was harder to quote unquote, get away with. Um, and that was done with, you know, uh, every indie filmmaker's favorite, like camera, it would have to be the Ursa Mini Pro. Mm. I couldn't have pulled that off with um, anything else just because I didn't have the money, right? So I literally just like collected together all of my McDonald's paychecks and uh, dumped everything, also my college money into the Ursa Mini Pro. And I was like, this is what's going to tie everything together. Trust me, Justin. <laughs> and like we we disassembled the Ursa every morning. So I'd like take off the lens and I had the smallest locker in my school. So I able I was able to kind of origami it into uh, my locker. And that tiny locker ended up having like over $10,000 worth of film equipment in there. Oh I just God. hope no kid like smashed their body against the locker for fun. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was like our undercover uh, film studio. The first time I ever heard of this movie was from somebody at Black Magic. How did Black Magic get involved? Right. Yes. Well, well, that that's the thing. I I'm like Black Magic kind of saved my life while I was making this because, you know, um, with Black Magic Raw, like you don't even have to pay that much for like hard drive space anymore. I was in the computer lab watching like the keynotes <laughs> during class, and as soon as they announced Black Magic Raw, I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> and like, the teacher's like, what's going on? Um, but yeah, like they were so instrumental and, um, I also edited it on, um, DaVinci Resolve. So Mm. everything was kind of done like in that pool and it was really like convenient and helpful. And I just like emailed black magic being like, Hey, you know, I did everything with your stuff. And, you know, this is a sign that maybe kids can just pick up the camera and go. And they were like, Oh, that's so cool. Um, you want to talk with movie maker? <laughs> <laughs> so that's how these things work. I only get an email that's like, Hey, there's this great movie. You should watch it. And I'm like, okay, sure. I'll oh. watch it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it was again, totally different than I thought it was going to be like so much 
so much more vibrant and alive and cool than I thought it was going to be. I thought like, I'll see the, I'll see like the novelty of a 20 year old making a movie about anything just to see like what their eye is. And then it's this totally assured, super accomplished, super vibrant film. And yeah, the, the other thing I wanted to ask you is if you've ever seen the Larry Clark movie kids. Oh gosh. Everyone uh, recommends that movie to me. I've heard amazing things about it. It's weird because that movie, when it came out, I was 20 and everybody said, this is this incredibly real, incredibly authentic on the ground streets in New York movie. And this is like what kids really like today. And watching it now compared to your movie, it feels like so kind of heavy handed and staged. And it wasn't by the standards of a 1995 movie, but compared to now, it just feels like, oh, that was actually a little preachy. Like it, it seems like they were trying to like really hit certain points really hard in a way that this movie, for example, doesn't. And I just, I don't know. I'd be really curious what you think of it when you see it, if you see it. Well, yeah. I mean, the thing I kind of see with kids today is that we're not like, we're not like super drama queens. Um, I don't know what kids is like, I haven't seen kids. So I, I can tell you, I mean, I know about um, Larry Clark. He's the director. Right. Yeah. And um, I, I kind of have a sense of like, I've heard about Ken Park and stuff. Um, but I'd say like everyone that we encountered when we were in high school was just kind of awkward, a little bit cringy, confused, uh, add some sprinkle some charm in there mm-hmm. and you got yourself a 17 year old in 2019 <laughs> what were your influences was it was it weird youtube videos was it particular films uh yeah um the dirties obviously was a big one for me and mm-hmm. matt johnson kind of like helped come on board and you know mentored us at, uh, in an in- internship when we were in high school Mm-hmm. Um, so the dirties zero day is a big one mm-hmm. by Ben, uh, Coccio. Mm-hmm. And, um, there's another one, timeless, bottomless, bad movie. This one's a bit more mm-hmm. like low key. It's like this Korean movie from the nineties about these homeless, uh, Korean youth. And it's called bad movie because the kids are bad and everything they do is bad and there's no point. Right. And it's the most like anarchy, like kids are like stomping on cars, like pushing over vending machines. There's a scene where like the schoolgirl takes a brick and like just hits it on this other girl's head. You don't know if it's real or fake. Kids are getting beat up by cops. It's just like the most like real and unbelievable thing. And um, that was like huge because it kind of taught us that like, you know, at least aesthetically speaking, go for the juggler, like make it look as like, I wouldn't say illegal because I don't want people getting the wrong idea here, but you know, make it look like amazing. And you can do that with a low budget. You just have different things at your disposal. Yeah. There is one thing that happens and I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, but it happens very near the end. And I gasped, like I was absolutely shocked that this happened. Um, and then after it happens, no one really talks about it, which is like so, <laughs> so funny and so dark and such a like big decision. And you're making a movie now about your 20s? Yeah, yeah. So that's the new movie. It's going to be about the 20s and the 2020s. Yeah. Um, 
therapy dogs kind of ended off where this one begins, you know, uh, it's ever since we graduated, it felt like the gates have kind of opened as well as like the world itself seems to be kind of, uh, changing a lot. Um, I think this is a good time to tell a story about letting go of the old and bringing the new in. Wow. Well, I can't wait to see what you make next for decades to come. I mean, I, I want to see your take on like your twenties, your thirties, everything, because I just, I know this sounds insane coming from the future, coming from like somebody who's 30 years older, but like, I don't know. I found that the things got way better in my thirties than, than they were in like my twenties, which I thought would be incredible. And like, I'm happier now that I've ever been. It's really weird how that works because I totally remember being 17 and thinking like the whole system is corrupt and bullshit and it's all going to be terrible from here on out. And that, that may be true, but you find ways around it to still be happy. And I don't know. I just, I, I want like the people in the movie. I wanted to like talk to the people. I'm being the adult in the movie. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, you're, that gives me chills that like you remember that time in your life. I think that's so important. Like we can't, you know, grow old, grow older and disregard how we felt when we were kids, because when you were a kid, those emotions were real and you kind of have to, you know, respect that and, you know, be there for those parts of like those ghosts of yourself. They're way more intense and they're so intense that you really never forget them because you never feel things as intensely as I think you do in high school because it's all brand new and it's really scary. And people also just say and do stuff in high school that they would never do after high school. Like even people you went to high school with are so cool five years later when they were absolutely horrible at the time. It's just, it's this being in this kind of prison situation where you don't see an out and you can't like, you know what, this sucks. I'm going to go away for the weekend. Like that just isn't an option. Um, You don't have a car. A lot of times you don't have money a lot of the time to do any of the stuff you'd like to do. And so you're grouped in with these, like maybe few hundred other kids and you, it's easy to feel like that's the entire world and that's all of the possible opportunity. And then you move to, you know, another city and realize that's, that's not true at all. Like there's just so much out there. I did want to ask them, are you going to stay in Toronto? Because we just, we just did a list about how Toronto is like the number two best city for movie makers now. Like I, I know there's one of your friends in the movie is talking about moving to LA and just like, Mm -hmm. I'm curious about your mindset. Like, do you feel like you have to move to LA or New York or are you going to stay put? Well, I mean, the trajectory of this film is it goes from the suburbs in Mississauga Mm-hmm. Uh, to Toronto that's where the kids kind of end off and you know they're looking at the the skyscrapers and the, everything's so much bigger and it feels like this new world so I want to tell if that was a story about the suburbs I think the 20s is a story about a city you know or especially your early 20s because I think there's a lot of vanity involved and you don't get more of that in you know when you're uh, in Toronto that this place is really becoming, you know, it's starting to get an ego of its own. And uh, I think it's the perfect place to make a movie about your 20s, yeah. That was Ethan Ng, director of Therapy Dogs, also the co-writer and star of Therapy Dogs. Now available on the Slamdance channel. It's at slamdancechannel.com. I strongly urge you to check it out. Um, you can sign up for the Slamdance channel for I think it's 10 bucks or something a month 
cancel if you don't like it. But what a movie. He did a really beautiful job, and so did his friends. Um, thanks so much for listening to this. You probably noticed, as I did as I listened back, that Ethan sounds so much more composed and mature than I do. <laughs> That's how much I was just fanning out on his work. He did a great job. Uh, if you'd like to give us a review, that's great. Love it. If you want to subscribe, that's even better. The best thing you can possibly do is recommend this to a friend. We appreciate all of those things. You're also always welcome to visit us at moviemaker.com. We have lots of interviews like this one. And we will see you back here very soon.